Grace and mercy and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So I'm going to be asking for some volunteers this morning to start, and I'm going to pick on my own family here because I wasn't sure where I could find the right ages. So Adam and Josh, could you come up here? So Josh stand right in the middle, and Adam just stand on this lap. So what I'd like to show you here is that we got an eighth grader right here that I'm picking on, and he's a good sport, so he's going to put up with this. But he's kind of right at this age that I talked about at the beginning, somebody just heading into high school, kind of leaving childhood behind and starting to look ahead to the future. And then we have over here somebody who's not quite there yet in many, many ways, Adam. And he's still looking, looking ahead to, to getting there. And then on the right side, you have somebody who's, who's past that stage, past this stage right now, hopefully, most days, is an adult. Well, let's have uh, you guys lock arms like this. So lock your elbows together and then lock my elbows together. Okay. So now you have what you consider three different stages of life all joined together with Josh in the middle. Okay, all joined together. Josh in the middle. Okay, you guys can go sit down. Thank you. But what I'd like to show you based on that is how the Apostle Peter is trying to show us we are joined together with Jesus. So as Christians, we're really living in different stages of life all at the same time. In one way, we're just kids. We're children of the Heavenly Father, and we know there's so much we don't know about our lives, about our futures, about God. And so we're looking up to our older brother, Jesus, who has gone the way before us. But then we know beyond that is this the final stage, which is the heavenly stage, where we're fully mature but also where we reach the destination of heaven. Some of our members recently have reached that destination. As Christians, we're torn between these two places, both now and then not yet. We're living in this world filled with trials, yet we also know we're part of a heavenly kingdom. And what joins us to these two things together is Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. And Peter is trying to teach the Christians that he's writing to, to hold on to this living hope that proves to us that we are more than what we see. We are both yet and not yet joined together in Jesus Christ. Peter is dealing with people who are confused about who they are, about where they fit in, and about where they're going. Verse 1 and I, uh, is where we'll start, where you're, you're looking at Peter addressing these people as three things. Elect, exiles, and scattered. He calls them the elect, which means the chosen ones. He calls them exiles, which means strangers or wanderers. And he calls them 
scattered. Now these three words are supposed to remind his listeners who they are and where they fit in and where they're going. They're elect, which means they're chosen, and that's a word that was first used to speak of Abraham being chosen by God. They're also wanderers, which ties them to the story of Abraham and Israel throughout the whole Old Testament, wandering in the wilderness, lost, needing God to guide them, not feeling like they ever had a permanent home, and then scattered. That they weren't no longer, by the time that they're writing this, the people of God are scattered all over the world in different places and different times and different circumstances. They're chosen, they're wandering, and they're scattered. But then he brings it back to what teaches us who we are. He says that this is according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling with his blood. You notice in verse 2 there's the Trinity mentioned, the three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all mentioned in verse 2. The Father is the one who he says plans. The Spirit is the one who he says makes you holy. And Jesus is the one then who teaches you and leads you and forgives you. I do invite you to open up your Bibles if you want to follow along as we go verse by verse working through this text in 1 Peter chapter 1. Our lives only make sense in the Trinity. Verse 2 says, according to the planning of the Father, by the Holy Spirit making us holy, for the goal of obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling with his blood. That last phrase that Jesus is leading us in obedience and sprinkling us with his blood comes from the story of the Exodus. When God was leading his people out of Egypt and into the wilderness, he brought them to a mountain. When they got to the mountain, God spoke and said, this is the deal that I'm making with you. I promise that I will be your God and I will go with you. In the meantime, I want you to listen to me and follow my word. Pretty simple. I'll be your God and lead you and I want you to listen to me and follow my word. So at the mountain then, to symbolize this relationship between the people and God, Moses had an offering where he read all of the words of this scripture from Exodus. He read all the words that God was teaching the people and said, this is all that God says. Now, what do you say? And the people said, we will obey it and we will do it. So you see how God, uh, how the people were first coming to obedience. That's the word in our text, obedience now to Jesus Christ. And the second thing that Moses did was then he sprinkled them with blood, which seems really, really weird to most of us, but we're getting into a whole series in Peter about strange things that God does. 
And what God does is he tells Moses to sprinkle them with blood, and it was symbolic. They sacrificed a whole bunch of animals as offerings to God and sharing that in a meal. And then they took the blood to symbolize the lives of the animals that had to be given in order for Israel to be holy. And then the blood was sprinkled on them. The word in Greek here in verse 2 is uh, obedience means to listen. In both the Old Testament and the New Testament, the word obedience comes from the word to listen. So it's not just outward strict rules that you must follow and not question and not even understand, but it begins with listening with your ears. So the people listened to the covenant and then they were sprinkled with blood. And now Peter says, you are listening to the covenant. You are listening to God's word being spoken to you through Jesus Christ, your teacher. Do you agree with what you're hearing? What would you say? Well, we're kind of like Israel. Yeah, I'll do it. But it doesn't always work out that way. It doesn't always work out. We say, yes, I'm in church. I'm going to do it. Things are different now. But then two, three days later, we find ourselves going backwards, slipping up. So the second part comes in. It's a sprinkling of blood so that Jesus now can sprinkle you with his own blood. The blood he sacrificed on the cross, his life given as the Lamb of God so that you now can be forgiven. Forgiven of all of your sins. And now you belong to this family. God the Father, God the Spirit, and God's Son. It's all right there in those first couple of verses. Peter is trying to get us on the right path to show us who we are. Now moving on in the text. Peter is both joining these people to an old, old story, which I'm trying to summarize here, but then also pointing them ahead to what's new. In fact, the people he's talking to are mostly Gentile. They're mostly people who don't really know much about the old story. And you, if you want to, you're all Gentiles here, by the way. I don't know if you knew that, but you're all Gentiles, as far as I know. Maybe there's a little bit of Jewish blood somewhere, but uh, you didn't grow up, maybe you didn't grow up with the stories of the Old Testament. And God is saying, it's worth knowing. It's all tied together. Because it's where Jesus came from. From Abraham to Moses to the exile at the end of the Old Testament. It's all tied together. But now we come to something new. So we're tracing through the Old Testament. And then we come to something new. Jesus. Jesus comes. And Jesus suffers. So Jesus comes as God's own son to fulfill all that Israel in the Old Testament failed to do. He becomes a human like us, suffers like us, and dies. That doesn't sound like a very hopeful story. But what God does through that death is he gives a new birth into a new hope. After Jesus dies and is in the tomb for three days, the hope is that he will rise 
And on the third day, he rises from the dead. That's the new hope. So he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is what 1 Peter is all about. And in the coming weeks, as we go further into 1 Peter, it's going to be all about this living hope. Jesus has risen. You are alive. You are with God. Don't lose your hope. But as much as we're living and alive in Jesus, it doesn't always feel that way. Because our bodies still live on earth. Our bodies still live in a place that is dying. And so we suffer. Not just our bodies suffer, but our souls suffer. Our hearts suffer. I can remember being in high school and the turmoil of living through that awkward stage where you just can't figure out quite who you are. But I found that that awkward stage can last well into adulthood where you still don't quite figure out who you are, where you fit in, where you're going with your life. It's the Holy Spirit's job then to make sense of all of that. And first he makes sense by pointing you to your inheritance, where you are going. He has given you an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So this inheritance is described in this verse as a guarded treasure, a a sacred, precious jewel. Your inheritance is something that God, as your father, has promised you to give you everything that is his. But it's just not all yours yet. It's kept in heaven. It's reserved and protected and guarded in heaven so that when the right time comes, he will finally give this all to you and it's yours. And he says that it's three things. It's imperishable, it's undefiled, and it's unfading. Perishable means something that will perish and fade away like the food we keep, the leftovers we put in the refrigerator. That's perishable. But this does not perish. Undefiled means it doesn't get corrupted over time. It doesn't rust. Like gold or silver might get tarnished and you need to clean it up and polish it. Or metal might rust. It says this doesn't rust. It doesn't get corrupted. And it doesn't fade away. Is the idea of wilting like a flower. So a flower might be beautiful for a time. But we know as winter comes in, things are dying. But this doesn't die. It doesn't fade away. It is eternal. So set your sights on that. Because you are being guarded, Peter says, by faith. And faith is then keeping your sights on these promises. And it protects you. It it hones you in like a hedge to keep you safe from all of the dangers that are coming into this world. And the final goal is salvation. So Peter's teaching you to look ahead, see where you're heading, 
You're heading to salvation in the end. But what are you going through right now? In the meantime, you're still living here. So he says, In this you rejoice, knowing your inheritance. Although now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor, the revelation of Jesus Christ. What are the trials that you're going through? The idea of a fiery trial comes from a story in the Old Testament. There were three men. They were living in a place far away from their homes. They were strangers and foreigners living in Babylon. They'd been captured, their people and their family taken away from their homes, and they'd been replanted into this strange place where they just didn't feel at home. And the king who was watching over this place said, If you want to live in my land, and you don't have a choice, you need to bow down and worship me. You need to prove that your allegiance is to me and to no one else, and you're going to worship me and my God. Well, these three men couldn't do it because they knew the Lord, and they knew the first commandment is don't have any other gods. So they refused. They said, we have to worship only the Lord who has saved us. And this king had already made up his mind. He'd already given all the threats. So he took these men. He built a fiery furnace. He built it up with a lot of fire. He threw the men into this pit. And there they they went, right into the fire to be burnt up. But the Lord delivered them. They didn't die. And as the king waited, and even the attendants who pushed him in died, he said, what's happening with them? And they said, there's no longer three, but there's four. There's an extra person in that fire with them. One like the Son of Man was seen in the fire with them, and not even a hair on their head was singed. Now, where did that trial really begin? The trial wasn't actually being thrown into the fire. By that time, they said, well, it's over. The trial was when the king said, bow down to me. What are the trials that you're going through, and why are they happening? The trials are like a fiery test, a time for us to have our faith tested. And the Lord says, this is a good thing. The reasons it's happening is so that he can prove your genuine faith. So that the people who come to church, the people who pray, the people who represent God in the world are not fake. He wants real believers who have done real sins, fallen into real traps, gone through real trials to come out on the other side and still have joy. That's what it's testing, your faith. And the way to deal with it is never to lose your sights. Your hope is a steady, patient, active waiting. Anticipating what God tells you you can expect. 
It's like a woman in labor expecting a child. She hopes for a child, right? Because she expects it to come. And when the time comes, the baby is born. It's like a man who works six days, works his hands to the bone, sweating, toiling to provide for his family because he expects on the seventh day he's going to rest. You see, the hope isn't just something that might happen. It's not something you wish is going to happen, but it's something you can expect. It's certain. You're going through the labor. You're working through the six days. And God says, expect at the end, most certainly, that I'm going to bless you. So we are now listening to Jesus submitting to his word and being sprinkled with his blood. You can look at the kids in our congregation and see how many different stages there are, right? We've got babies. We've got kind of medium, small. We've got medium. We've got big and getting taller every day. And we've even got some older kids, right? Because every one of us are in the stage of growing as children of God. And what Peter is saying is lock arms with the people around you. Lock arms with the people who have been through it ahead of you. Lock arms with the older ones that can give you wisdom and guidance that can help you on your way. Lock arms at every stage of the Christian life so that together... We always have that living hope. But above all, lock arms with Jesus Christ. Because when you're locked arms with him, no tribe can defeat what God's kingdom is accomplishing in your life right now. Amen.